Hey everyone, welcome to Wake Dad, Drink Repeat, the podcast that defines today's dad. I'm Anthony Palmer. And I'm Michael Smith Palmer. What's up, buddy? Hey man, how are you? I'm good. You guys uh, enjoying being back from the beach? We are, man. It's, uh, what's today? I don't know what today is. Monday. It's Monday. And, uh, it's Monday. <laughs> um, yeah, just got back on Saturday and just kind of getting in the groove and things. We started homeschooling Noah today. Um, ah, so it's, dude. Yeah, it's it's kind of a new chapter for us. We kind of are, we treated this as like what people treat Labor Day as, like the end of summer, summer. switch kind of um, mental, mental chapter changing for us, which is in the next phase, which uh, we're ready for, man. I got to be honest with you, man. We were, Michelle and I were talking about it the other night. I feel like we are, it's phase three. And I know that term can get a little cloudy with all the COVID <laughs> sure. stuff, but it's like, it's phase three for the Palmer family of the COVID world that we're living in. Like the first run was the end of spring semester for Anderson's third grade. Then it was summer. And now it's like this third yeah. phase is getting yeah. into fourth grade. And I'm, I'm struggling with it fair. this week, man. Chap- like chapter. I, Chapter three, phase three. That's a good. That's a good term. Oh, I hate. I hate watching my kid be isolated. I'm glad she's at home and not at school. But like, it just is. It's that has been a freaking ball buster the last sure. couple of days of her being in school of just like sure. watching that isolation. Just is not. It is not a fun thing as a parent to to watch that with your kid. It's the other side of the coin, right? It's the, yeah. it's, you, you play the safety card, but then like you draw that out for months, <laughs> for yeah. as long as we're dragging it out. And who knows how many phases you were going to have by the end of this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, at, at the end of this, uh, it could be a long game. I agree, man. I Bananas. agree. Well, tell me a stupid dad joke to cheer me up. Yeah. Can I turn the page for you? <laughs> Please. Um, all right. So, so I don't know if you know, but um, a clown at the circus gave me some free popcorn. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it was super nice. He was a very kind jester. Uh, I see what you did there. I see what you did. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a good joke, but I see what you did. (laughs) I give it a D plus. Will you give it a D plus? I'll give it a D plus. I'll dig. But I will say it's on par. Low conversation. You did a good job tying it in for our guest for this week. We were joined by the uh, co-host, co-creator, and co-executive producer of Showtime's The Circus. Mr. Mark McKinnon, um, man, it was a great, a great episode for those of you who don't know. Mark is a, uh, a longtime political guru, media guru in, in the world of politics. Um, he yes. worked on both of, uh, George W. Bush's, uh, pl- presidential campaigns, um, worked for him as governor, worked on John McCain's, uh, presidential bid in 2008 for a little bit, but worked um, with democratic yeah, and then and has done a lot with Democrats too prior to that um, in more local races. But um, just a great, a really great episode with a true today's dad. Yeah, yeah, man, it's it's very humbling to we said it in the show, but just I I love his 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 moral compass, right? I, I love his 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 yeah. stance on beliefs, his his balls to stand up for what he thinks is right, and if I'm like jaded or not jaded, what he thinks is right is right, which is really yeah. freshening to hear. Um, but like just his, his moral compass with his, just his, his ethics and how he acts. And even when it's, it's the biggest decisions ever of walking away from a political campaign that we talk about, like it's the, the man marks marches his own March, um, for the right reasons. And it's, it's, a refreshing to hear and cool to hear how that trickles down to kids and grandkids and uh the the whole family side of uh that coin is a super fun conversation 
Yeah, man. Very much so. Well, before we get into the episode, guys, as always, please uh, rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts. Please find us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Let us know what you're thinking about the show, what you like, what you don't like. We always appreciate the feedback. And um, as always, be sure to share it with a fellow dad. You guys enjoy this week's episode with Mark McKinnon. All right, everyone, we are joined today by political advisor, medium columnist, co-host, co-creator, and co-executive producer of Showtime's The Circus. He's a reform advocate. He's a husband. He's a dad. He's a grandfather. Mr. Mark McKinnon. Mark, thanks for joining us on the show, man. Hey, glad to be aboard. Thanks for putting me on the dance card. Absolutely, man. This is uh, We have been looking forward to this one for uh, for a little bit now, so I'm, I'm, I'm stoked to have you on. I'm good. I hope um, you don't disappoint. You, I, I'm sure that you won't. I'm sure that you won't. Well, Mark, before we uh, before we get in too far here, we have two things that we do religiously on the show. One is what, which is we talk about what we're drinking, and the second of which is we ask our guests to give us their definition of a today's dad. So we will start out with what is it that you're drinking on? Well, this is the kind of thing that you drink if you're if you're a, a, a hardworking dad, and that's a Manhattan. Uh, and I, <laughs> I like I love bourbon, and I love sweet vermouth, and I love mixing them together, and it kind of Cuts a little bit of the bourbon and adds a little sweetness to it and uh, goes down real smooth. I love help, it, man. I help uh, with my I, circus stress. That, <laughs> I get that. Yes, it's it's no longer just 2019 stress for you, probably. It's just the whole, or 2020 stress, excuse I'm, me. I'm living in a human <laughs> microwave, man. <laughs> well, I, uh, in, in your honor today, I, I, I pulled the sweet vermouth out and, and mixed up a Manhattan myself. We Very were, strong. We, Bravo, sir. we were talking about it on last week's episode with, uh, with Trey Zoller, the um, founder of Jefferson's. Yeah. You know, it's a classic drink, but I think it's really coming it, back. It, it, it in an old fashioned yeah. are hard to like, you, yeah. cause I love bourbon straight, but uh, tonight yeah. I was sitting here and I was like, I just want a cocktail and I don't want to make an old fashioned cause it's too much work sometimes. Right. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna make a. I'm gonna go Manhattan. I'm gonna drink a Manhattan with Mark. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well done. I'm on. I'm on a very small batch of Jeffersons. So Ooh, nice. Um, just uh, yes. Very yes, indeed. Draw. So nice play on the bourbon train. Very good play. Well, boys. Well, uh, cheers. Cheers, gentlemen. Absolutely. Ching. Looking forward to a good conversation. Same. Same. All right, Mark. Well, um, we will we'll jump right into the business side of this. Then, um, if you would please share with us how you define a today's dad. Well, you know, I think about sort of roles in our society, whether it's, you know, sort of uh, um, racial justice, uh, gay rights, you know, just all the different sort of vectors of, of justice and equality. And, you know, it just seems to me as I look around and, and I, you know, I'm reminded of it all the time when I think about all the stuff that my wife does that I don't do and I should. You know, I mean, it's just it's, it's and it's so ingrained and it's so historical and most of it's so wrong uh, that they carry <laughs> so much weight with child care, with house care, with, you know, whatever it is. And it's I'm really surprised that it doesn't get more attention and that, that you know, uh, and I think, you know, guys like you really step up, which is great. And I applaud what you're doing. But there's not a lot of, you know, I mean, we need a whole lot more of that. I mean, to be a, a dad in today's world means to recognize that, you know, you, you should carry equal weight in the, in the family and the raising of kids and, you know, and not, you don't just go, you know, carry out the trash. There's a great scene in a Sam Shepard movie where he's in the kitchen with his wife and he throws a tea bag in the sink and she kind of looks at him and goes, 
you think for once in your goddamn life you could just take the tea bag and throw it in the trash? And he looks at her and he goes, oh, yeah, sure, where's the trash? <laughs> <laughs> that kind of sums it up, you know? That sums it up yeah. well. And that's why we exist and that's what we're trying to fix. Yeah, exactly. So more power to you. A lot of work to be done. But, you know, best thing you can do is lead by example, which you guys are doing. Thanks, man. Well, thanks um, for saying that. Really sure. appreciate that. That's a great. That's a great definition. I think um, you. I was trying to think about it this morning when I was looking over our show notes and everything. I, I'm thinking you may be the oldest, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but the oldest dad we've had on the podcast. I think we have had one other person with grandkids. Mike, am I wrong? Or yeah, okay. So yeah, that's right. Which that's right. I, and, and then Mike and I's dads have both been on the podcast, and they of course have grandkids. But it's. I think it's interesting how that your your perspective on parenting changes a lot. I think when you become a grandparent and you get 100%. to look 100%. back on it, you know. Yeah, it does because uh, I mean, it's the first of all, it's the best club in the world um, because you get <laughs> all the fun and none of the responsibility. But, but <laughs> sure, it, sure. But it reminds you of just how much work it is. I mean, my wife yeah. was born to be a, a grandparent, and she l- loves it. And of course, I love being a grandfather, but. But it is amazing to me that she, you know, and this is great for my daughter, you know, uh, that we're close by. And my wife literally like goes and steals the kids all the time and has them stay over the night, which is great for my daughter to get a break. Sure. But my wife has endless capacity to entertain four and six year olds, which is amazing to me. I mean, she can just play with them for hours and hours. I, you know, I go for about it's 10 a gift minutes or a curse. Thinking, I got sure. a call I got to get on, you know. <laughs> uh, but I tell you what, I, it does remind me that just how much work it is and just, you know, they, they, I mean, kids are great, but they never stop. There's no breaks. And, yeah, and, sure. and it reminds me why you have to be young to actually be a parent. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I think there's a lot of truth there. My, my parents are similar, but they they live just right up the road from us. And it is I, and my mom is my both my parents are great about taking the kids and hanging out with them. But my mom, like is just so it's hilarious it is clockwork how after about two hours of having them i'll get a text and she's be like i'm ready for my nap come get them <laughs> like, yeah. I, 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 I know it. but you have them for the day so sorry you're shit out of luck <laughs> yeah, i get that i get that yeah uh, it's mark crazy. man you are um the um circus you guys are on season five and um and talk talk about the world talk about your day-to-day like talk about how you are it appears to me, sir, that you're sitting in your backyard. I assume to me, I would be looking at you from a hotel room. Like what, what's yeah. your, what's your grind that's getting you through and God knows what 2020 COVID is, um, and how that layup's working for you guys. Yeah. Like, well, um, how, how's that, how's that structure working for you? Um, well, it's, I call it the human microwave. It's incredibly stressful. What we do is make a documentary every week. And we do in a week what usually takes people months, if not more than a year to do. And we do it in a week. Sure. And, I, and when I pitched the show originally, I felt that that was the really important part of this. And, and it took a long time to get it greenlit because most television executives love the idea, but they just didn't think we could do it. And actually, yeah. at the time, they were right. We needed technology to catch up. I was pitching it 10 sure, years before sure. we got on the air. Um, oh, wow. But, but it also takes a, you know, a real gamble from the television uh, network because – they don't see the show that runs Sunday night until Sunday morning. And, you know, at that point, there's not much they can do except pull it off the air and run a rerun. So they're, they're making a big bet. And, but we have this incredible team of talent and producers and editors 
Um, but I mean, the way this works before I never would have been in Colorado pre COVID, I, I, I was during a run of three or four months at a time. I, I wouldn't come home because it's a seven day around the clock thing. And I would be in New York every weekend editing the show now because of COVID we're forced to actually, this has been, you know, one of the upsides for me is that we can now do the editing that we used to have to do in person on weekends. We can do it virtually again, thanks to technology and yes. COVID so kind of forced it. So I, I, I now, you know, can edit the show here and then we do our re- weekly round table where we kind of set up the week on Mondays. So sometimes I'll be in Colorado and, you know, I, bef- right before this, uh, this meeting with you guys, I was on the phone on one of my two or three circus uh, conference calls every day, and we're literally like, okay, here's our theme of the week. Um, here are the possibilities. We've got ones in, ones in Florida, ones in Arizona, ones in uh, Maine, and we're trying to figure out who we can get, when we can get them, which host can get to what locality, what time. So I don't know, my, I don't know where I'm going to be tomorrow. I could be in Maine. I could be in, Jeez, in Tennessee. Man. And, and it's a cat wrangler. Oh yeah, man, that's, and it, that's logistics. Oh, it's logistical yeah. hell, and one of the hardest show, jobs on our show is the bookers. And it's really, yeah. really, really uh, stressful, and and the people who do all the travel stuff. But but you know, but it's but it is hard because it's it's very hard, as I said, to even plan to do this podcast because I just don't know where I'm going to be tomorrow or if I'm going to be on a yeah. plane. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, As, well, well, I asked it not knowing how stressful it is, and when you lay it out like that, you made it ten it's even times worse. worse. Than we thought. <laughs> it's, it's worse when you when you externalize it. Uh, that's got to be the hardest to pull off. And and props to you for doing such meaningful work in the in the format that you just spoke of. I mean, it's it's insane that you guys are able to execute um, that level of project, and uh, certainly applaud you for it. Well, thanks. It's it's uh, you know we had no idea that we'd be covering what we're covering the last four years. Yeah. It, just, it was sure, it was right? Timing right. crazy, but you know it was it's dramatic. And no matter where you are on the political spectrum, people are interested. I mean, this show now is the most successful unscripted show in the history of Showtime. And you know, wow. I, I like to say that's part because of the show and the format, but it's also really because people are just super interested. They're either excited yeah. or scared or freaked out or well. All the above. And the way yeah. you guys do it, and I mean, this is not, uh, we'll, we'll shift gears here in a minute, but I just, it, it's a, it's such a good show. And I've, I mean, I've been a just religious follower of it since the first episode of season one. I mean, I remember when um, uh, Heilman and Halpern were on, uh, when they had, with all due respect, and that right, was right, like right. the show that kind of like, you know, they would talk about it going yeah. into there. And I mean, it was, I like I lived for with all due respect every night and then the circus of the you're weekends, a junkie, you know? you're a junkie. <laughs> yeah, I am. It's <laughs> bad, man. Yeah. This whole this whole Trump presidency shit has just you're, taken you're a prime demo of my life. Um, <laughs> it's bad. I spend I've cussed at the TV way too many times, but that's you know neither here nor there. But it's um the the way you guys do the show and the way the interviews are conducted is it, it tells a story, and I think. The, the story of our country, um, and this is ultimately where I'm going with this, so hang on with me for a second, but <laughs> the story of our country in the last couple of years, I think there, it's it, just the undertone that has been there for years has finally been allowed to come out into the spotlight. And what, what you guys show so much of is just the, not because you all are showing it, but because it's there, just this division and this divisiveness and the crazy 
that exists right now of everybody feeling like they're entitled and everybody is entitled to their opinion, but that they're entitled to scream their opinion from the top of the roofs that their opinion matters more than somebody else's. Nobody listens anymore. And there's, there's so much good that comes out of your, I, I tell my wife every Sunday when we get done, like I never feel better after watching an episode of it, but I feel more informed. Like, yeah. yeah. I've listened, no, but I still feel like absolute shit. Yeah. At the end Unfortunately, of we terrify a lot of people with, uh, with God. but, but you, I mean, to your point, um, we do try and tell stories and you know, that's one of the things that I learned from Hollywood when I first did the show, I just said, you know, a bunch of interesting stuff will happen. And we'll put it on the air. And they were like, no, you know, you really want to have a thematic backbone to every episode. And so there's an arc to the story. And, and so we really try and do that. And I think this last week's episode was a really good example of that this we yes. really decided to go deep on the whole idea of election fraud. Is there election yes. fraud? If there is, where is it? If, how do you deal with it? Is, you know, there's this whole issue of mail-in ballots. Is that going to work? Where are there going to be problems? And so we really got to do some substantive work and do a deep dive on something that's really going to be important for this election. And then, of course, you know, as it always does, crazy news breaks like the Bob Woodward book. And we had to do a hard right turn in the middle of the show. And we, we had to we had to you know address that. But we, we yeah. try and do it in a way so that, that, you know, I mean, people are drinking from a fire hose on cable television. And it's just something breaking every five minutes. So we try and at least wrap it up in some kind of a package on Sunday nights so it makes a little bit of sense. Yeah. It's the, the, the cliffhanger of like, you know, Heilman staring off into the distance with thunder and lightning in the background. It's just like, <laughs> damn it. You know, or like the postal <laughs> sorting machines just like laying in heaps and like Alex Wagner looks like she's about ready to break into tears in the parking hey, lot. Hey, I like, got to tell you, I'm I, right I there with you, man. Like, <laughs> I want to tell you a quick story about that for your listeners who don't know. Part of the show was Alex Wagner discovering some actual postal machines that had been, had been discarded that could have been really useful in this election. Uh, that are like million dollar machines. Um, she's a really good reporter. I'm not a really yeah. good reporter. John, John and Alex are actual reporters. And she, bef- like well before this episode, weeks ago, was like, she'd read about the, the mail machines being pulled out. She said, I'm telling you, I am going to find one of those machines. God damn it. And sure enough, she did. It was amazing. <laughs> wow. She found a machine that had been pulled and was out wow. of order, was going to the scrap heap. And, uh, you know, again, it's just good intrepid reporting by Alex Wagner. Yeah, it was. It felt. It was, um, I, I told Michelle when we were watching, I was like, I'm, I'm waiting for, I was like, she's, she's, it's a bold move. Like I'm waiting for somebody to come out and be like, put the camera down. Like, what are you doing? You know, oh, like, yeah. I was, yeah, no, we had, were, to it, like, it felt like a movie. You were like waiting for that moment. Oh, for sure. And we had to like, you can't, can't imagine how many lawyers we had to run through that whole scene. Oh, I'm sure. sure. <laughs> Everybody was a little freaked out about it. So Ooh. since we're, since we're there and we're talking about the, kind of the divisiveness and, and some of that that's happened. I want to, I was um, really blown away in, in doing research on, on you before the episode of just your background as a person and, and in a, in a Wikipedia read on you and reading some other articles and whatnot, it, the thing I told Mike in our, in our pre-call for this was, I feel like you're somebody that has always put your beliefs and your values ahead of what you do, who you're doing it for, what party you're with or whatever. Like that, that was kind of the like surface level read I got on Mark McKinnon as a person. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to how you, how you applied that to your role as a dad, how you took those values that it feels like from, you know, you, 
being a Democrat before you went to work for George Bush, but you went to work for George Bush because you felt like he was, uh, and this is just a quote I read, but you know, that he was ahead of the Republicans on things that you believed in, like education reform and, and things that you feel were of value. So it's taking those, it's standing up for those beliefs that you have. How do you, how do you twist that into being a parent? Well, <clears throat> I, I've worked most of my adult life in politics and, you know, picked up a few lessons along the way that at least worked for me or that I needed to work for me. And one of those was that early on, you know, when I'd work for a candidate, I, I was, you know, sort of, sort of so focused on, you know, do we match up perfectly on what we believe in on a policy level? And so I'd sort of have my, you know, 10 fundamental issues that I felt really strong about. And I sort of match it up with that candidate. And if like eight of 10 matched up, that was a pretty good indicator to me that that was a candidate that, that I might want to work for and, you know, and spend a lot of time with. And then I did that, you know, over a, a number of years. And, you know, in more than a few cases, it turns out that I lined up perfectly with them sort of ideologically. And it turned out they were really shitty human beings, you know. <laughs> They were just awful. They, you know, they were unethical or had no integrity. Or, and that's when I, you know, and I was getting a little older myself. And I just, and I worked with, with some people who really uh, drove this home to me that, that, you know, somebody's life experience is really important. And sort of what they've learned and the wisdom that they've gained through, through life. You know, they're not just some card, cardboard cutout spouting talking points that there's, there's a reason something that they've lived in their life that's driven them to believe what they believe in. And, and those people, even if I didn't agree with them all the time, turned out to just be much better human beings. They had character, they had values, integrity. Uh, you know, so uh, at the, that's kind of the lesson that I learned, that it was really important, uh, not just what you believe in, but how you live your life. And uh, so I, I took that to, you know, I brought that home too, to, to think about how I worked as a dad and, and, you know, to be really thinking about the things that I'm passing along to my kids about how you live your life. You know, it's not just sort of beliefs that you spout, but, but what you do every day, who you love, how you love them, uh, how you, you know, your personal responsibility, you know, the sort of things that, that, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to just sort of lay on ideological ideas that, 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 uh, you know, we're very political, but rather talk about values and things that, you know, hopefully will last them much longer in their life. Um, but uh, I did have a little, do you want me to get to the issue of my daughter and our, our little, our little back and forth? Here? Yeah, oh, yeah no, that's great. I love, so, I mean, give a, give a little backstory on that. Cause we, well, like we said, so, we were, I was going to ask you about it. <laughs> well, I mean, so I, I maybe erred a little bit in sort of thinking that I, I wanted to keep politics away from my kids. You know, I didn't want them. Okay. I just didn't want to, I didn't want to burden them with, with a lot of the stuff that was going on. And, it, and well, let know, me, let me cut you off there real quick. And I'm sorry, but just sure. to kind of give a little more background on it. So yeah. you, for, for our listeners who don't know, you were the, you were president Bush's George W. Bush's, you were his media, his lead media consultant for both of his campaigns. Correct. Yep. Okay. So did you, as soon as he won the election, were you hands off and didn't, weren't involved with the administration of the campaign at all? Or were you still kind of around or how, like, what was your role? No, I was there? around and I got appointed to, uh, I was appointed as an ambassador level appointment to the, to uh, the white house. And, 
and worked for the Broadcasting Board of Governors, which which oversees all non-military broadcasts overseas. So yeah, I was plugged in. So, but I was mainly the campaign guy. You know, I was the okay. chief media advisor on both the 2000 2004 campaign. Same thing for McCain, and uh, but I had done the same thing earlier in Texas for Ann Richards as a Democrat. But I, right, you know, George Bush came to town, and he had this this uh, vision of a compassionate conservative, a compassionate conservative. Uh, and, you know, talked about education reform and immigration reforms, a lot of things that spoke to me at the time. And so I crossed that bridge and, you know, again, I did that and there was, there was a lot going on and, you know, I mean, things are super partisan today, but they weren't great then either. And so I kind of made a concerted effort to keep that away from my daughters and not talk about it a lot at the dinner table and what have you. And I discovered later, just recently, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, my daughter and I had kind of a knockdown drag out over the fact that I never talked to her about that. And she was really confused at the time. I mean, she was, you know, a, you know, a kid going to, uh, you know, a very liberal university at the time, Wesleyan, and, you know, surrounded by a lot of, you know, probably 99% Democrats and yeah. <laughs> people with pretty progressive views. So she was kind of embarrassed about the fact that her dad worked for George Bush and didn't really understand it. And I never really sat down and walked her through it. So it really put her in an, an uncomfortable position. And I wish that I had sat down and talked her through it. And, and so we did that now. And it was really late in the game. Uh, but, you know, she feels a lot better about it now uh, that we've talked about it. But I could have saved, you know, her a lot of sort of stress and, and agony that she kind of went through during those years. Just So I guess my message is, you know, dads, don't don't feel like you're protecting your kids by not talking about stuff. You may be doing just the opposite. Yeah. What, what is it that you wish you would have shared with her? What is it that she felt like she wanted you to share with? Like your reasons for working? Yeah, my reasons. For well, him. My reason. Yes, my reasons for uh, for going to work for Bush. My reasons for you know becoming a Republican at the time. And once I did, she like totally got it. It's like, oh, okay, sure, that, that makes total sense. And she just. I mean, she just heard the worst things about Iraq and, you know, all the, you know, sure. Republicans. And so, and understandably, she's, she had no reason not to believe it all, but she never understood a kind of, uh, you know, a lot of the other side of the story, which I was able to fill in for. Her. On that, on that exact, take that exact example and apply it today for like the, the, the children whose kids, nope, the kids whose parents are a Trump advocate in a democratic location or, or, or like what, what it's so bladedly double-sided right now. And, and so divided right now that it's so unhealthy that I, I'm, I'm not this case at all, but I fear thinking about children that are, that just know their parents are a Trump supporter or X, Y, or Z. And then they are go into their circle of kids, like a circle of friends. Sorry. But like, I don't, I can't wrap my mind around. It's like your daughter times a thousand mentally to me. Well, yeah. Um, in uh, terms of how combative it could be. Yes. And, uh, part this, this whole issue came up in the scene of the circus a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to an old counterpart of mine, who I worked with during the Bush years, who now is a Trump guy and has young kids. Yeah. And so I was talking about my kids then, and he said, "You think that was bad? You should see what it's like now." And, and he to was your saying point, that his like a thousand times worse. I mean, it is so yeah. hyperpartisan, and and you know they're they're and he and he was saying that they you know they literally worry about their kids' safety. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which that's that's the stuff that's not. You know, my daughter, my oldest kid is nine. 
And my daughter knows, um, because I'm a junkie at times for it, that I just despise Donald Trump and everything that Donald Trump stands for. Um, but my wife is comes from Louisiana. Her family is very Republican. And I've had many conversations with my daughter of like, it is okay that we have family that doesn't think the same way that mom and dad do. You know, and my mom, my excuse me, my wife is a longtime Republican. She's just not a, she's a, she's a very fiscally conservative human yeah. being, but I think I, I've now termed it. She's <laughs> morally liberal, but fiscally conservative, yeah. you know, like, a lot of which is, yeah. right. You know, <laughs> and, but, but trying to talk with my, my daughter in a way of, you know, it's okay that, you know, that mom and dad feel this way and that other people don't you don't need to go to school and fight those battles. That's not your job. Your, your job yeah. is to go to school and learn about history and learn about math and science and have friends. And like, you're going to hear friends. You're going to hear peers talk about how their parents vote for Trump. So they're going to vote for Trump. And you're going to hear people say that their parents vote for Biden. So they're going to vote for Biden. Like that's fine, but it's not, you, it, it doesn't need to be this thing that is so getting filtered out into our youth that, like I want my kid to be engaged and know what's going on in the world. My kid doesn't need to like, she's not voting. So it's, it doesn't matter. You know, like, it's an, it's an, however, it's an extension of where we are as parents, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it, that's where it hails from. So it's, it's really just the, the level of dialogue and health that we can bring down to our children as well, as well. That's where it spawns from. And just like you said, Mark, it's just, it's a hyper bipartisan. That's, it's not healthy at all. It is. I just hope that that pendulum has swung as far as it can go, and I hope it starts swinging back pretty soon. Jeez. Yeah, man. I can't. Oh man, pendulum so, has to swing. Let, let's not even go there. That, that's that's a frightening. That's a cliffhanger. I don't want to be left on. <laughs> let's um. Let's talk a that's little a bit good, about good good season six and seven and eight and nine. If <laughs> oh, that shit no. show doesn't swing, sir. <laughs> So you you said when you were talking about your daughter that you feel like even back then in the early 2000s that we were moving in that direction or that we were in the space of kind of that dysfunction and and um, divisiveness. Yeah. I wrote down in my notes, you know, does political dysfunction equal so, social dysfunction? As and I'm I'm asking you this with your political experience, but as a parent, have you do you feel like and as a grandparent, do you feel like you've seen? over the years that get worse on that level? Like, like how, how we are able to interact as families who have different beliefs politically and just watching that unfold. Cause from where I sit, I feel like it's gotten way worse over the last 15 years. Oh yeah. Unquestionably. I mean, it's, I think like you, you know, I've got a bunch of family who are Trump supporters and, and and pretty pretty radical Trump supporters, and of course they refuse to watch our show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they would learn a lot. <laughs> um, but you know, we I mean, we literally have conversations about you know when and how we can all get together because sometimes it's like you know we it's so it's so awkward that you literally say, well, should they even be invited to this event? You know, just because it's so polarized and so hyper political that it affects the social environment. And it's even kind of tense when you do get together because there's just so many things you can't talk about, uh, you know, because it just it just throws gasoline on the fire. And as soon as that match goes, man, then, you know, there's no stopping it and feelings get hurt. And, uh, you know, 
bruised and you know it's, and it affects a lot of family dynamics i mean it's sort of like you know people have to really think about how they do thanksgiving anymore and who gets yeah. how do we you're exactly right and i all of us have lived some threat of that um regardless of where we where we all land and especially where palmer and i are in the southeast um what yeah how do you, how do you manage that? How do you talk to your kids about that? Like how, how do you, how do you be a parent and have the respectable hand and try to do it with a level of dignity? Why, why uncle Charlie's not, not coming to Thanksgiving or, or X, <laughs> no. Y, or Z? Well, I, I mean, I think it takes a lot of work on everybody's part to, to listen and try and put yourselves in other people's shoes and, you know, I get that a lot of people who support Donald Trump dis- sort of just dismiss a lot of the things he does, a lot of things he says, even the policies that he promotes. He just represents, in their mind, a lot of their life and their experience of having people look down on them. For whatever reason, their life or their life experience, they've been f- screwed by government by yeah. society, by somewhere they've worked, uh, you know, just there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people that feel uh, aggrieved for one reason or another. And, you know, some of that may be questionable, but a lot of it's not. I mean, a lot of people have had horrible, shitty lives for one reason or another. And Donald yeah. Trump came to them and said, I'm we're going to go back. We're going to go back to the way it was before when, you know, you got paid what you're supposed to be paid. You got the respect you're supposed to get. And so it's a, it's a much bigger, broader thing about people's lives and what they've lived and, and just trying to get people to take a step back, understand that you don't have to, you know, you don't have to agree with the fact that they support the president, but you can try and do a better job of understanding that they, it's really more about an, you know, as it's not so much of supporting this man as, as it is, you know, a sort of representation of, a life that they've led oh. themselves that yeah. they think has been unfair. I really struggle with that part, Mark. Like I, I said to my wife the other day, like that I feel there's this level of I, I have now gotten to this point where I question how moral of a human you are if you can continue to stand with him. And I, and I, and 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 moral is such a weird word to use in that st- because I know that there's good people at their core who they are as humans. But it's it's like at what point are you selling everything else out to support that? Like, and I mean, I said this in October of two thousand and whatever it was, fifteen or sixteen, whatever year before he got elected, the the year that he got elected. When he when that Access Hollywood tape dropped, as a dad, as a husband, as a son, fuck that noise. Like I, it, like there were, and I, I wasn't supporting him then, but there was no way at that point moving forward that you, that I could figure out how to support that, you know, yeah, like and you he, thought it was over. <laughs> You're like, that's it. He's done. no, cause I, I had a similar moment I, when he, when he accused John McCain of not being a war hero. Yeah, I, yes, I, that's I it. He's cannot done. imagine, especially knowing John McCain, like as yeah. you did, like, oh, yeah, I mean, there's I mean, no greater insult to me than to, to defile the memory of John McCain. And, and I know that not everybody views each one of those instances as important as the economy or their paycheck or their tax exemptions or this, that, and the other. But it's like, God, what are you selling out morally? And then how do you look at your kids and say, I voted for that guy twice, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud. I mean, I am a bleeding hearted liberal. 
I don't agree with everything Barack Obama did, but I think overall Barack Obama was good for the country because he was a good moral human being that you were proud to at least call president because he was a decent human. Like, and then, and then you, and then you flip to this and it's like, I, I can't tell my daughter that I'm, that that's somebody to look up to. And like, that hurts. I've never had or can think of a candidate to the point where it's fearful on a parent parental role for their kids right. in terms of what they stand for, in terms of what this country stands for, in terms of the leadership, in terms of who they're seeing on the news and every story that's being written about it. It's, written, it's reached that point of, of just catastrophic failure on every moral belief and action that, that it's, it's disheartening and, and, and a parent role, especially I, I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. It's a fearful um, stance that it's, it's, I don't, I don't know how to act on it anymore. It's disheartening to say the least. Understandable. And, uh, you know, I mean, part of, of why it's hard to understand is because, People just are are living in two different universes of, of information. You know, yeah. most of Trump's yeah. supporters listen to Fox and Fox only. And if you do only sure. listen to Fox News, you would have such a different impression of what's going on. <laughs> sure. You know, because sure. it's just it's yeah. completely different set of facts sure. and, uh, or alternative facts. And But the bottom line on it, and, and, and I, I can't really articulate this very well other than to say what the sort of bottom line is, is that. Trump, when you attack Trump, Trump supporters feel like you're attacking them. Yes. You know, it's a, it, it is a personal thing. So it's like it's it, it, when you attack the president, you're attacking me. And and through everything that Dump's Trump done and said and through Fox News and whatever, he's made his supporters feel like a rejection of him is a rejection of them. I agree. I agree. So play it out. Where does this go? I'm sorry, because we're a dad podcast. Like what? Like, we are going to get off of the another, Trump subject after this. We question. are going to. <laughs> we are promise. Uh, uh, like, if this goes for another four years, what's your vision of what this country looks like? Other than a very successful, I didn't want to hear the answer to this because I don't feel like it's going <laughs> to. Like, what what direction do we have to go? Well, um, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't yeah. either. Um, I really don't, and I and I and I don't like to imagine what the possibilities are if that turns out to be the case, because I you know at least we've had a president tethered by the notion he has to get reelected. This president untethered by me. a reelection that scares the shit out of me. This guy has done all he can to undo, you know, sort of fundamental democratic principles and laws that govern the country, uh, but you know it'll just be that on steroids for another four years if if he's reelected. So. I, I was reading something again about <laughs> you and getting ready to talk with you about you removing yourself from the McCain campaign. Um, and there was a quote that had you basically saying that you felt like Obama's election would send a great message to the country and the world and that you were happy to be a fan, friend and cheerleader for McCain, but preferred not to be the tip of the spear in attacking Obama. I'm yeah. my backgrounds in communications and marketing. And I, it is, I love, election cycles because I, I love the power of word and watching the ability to twist, spin, manipulate and all. I mean, it's, 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 it's great to watch when it's not 2020, <laughs> I guess to some extent, right. but I, I thought that was a really noble um, stance. And I feel like, again, like I said earlier and going back and looking at things like the Mayday pack and your no labels organization and just your 
fluidity to follow your values and your morals. Um, I, I just thought that was a really, it, it, that's something that's so not common now, or well, at least you don't hear about it as much. And it was such a cool thing to read. It was a really unusual circumstance. Uh, I, I loved and revered McCain. And um, I, I could tell you a lot of McCain stories that are that I, I think are really compelling and powerful. Um, but uh, anyway, I went to work for him in 2008. And when we sort of sealed the deal, I said, Senator, I, I'll, you know, I'll go to your lawn. I'll go to Sedona and mow your lawn for you. I'll do anything you want me to do. And he said, well, I want you to come be my media guy. And I said, I'll happily do that uh, and work my ass off to get you the nomination if that works. But I have one caveat. And he said, what's that? I said, I met this guy, Barack Obama. I think he's a really interesting guy, very charismatic, very principled. I don't agree with a lot of what he says, but he's, it looks like he's going to run for president or maybe he just announced at that point. I don't remember. But uh, I said, if in the you know eventuality, which nobody foresaw at that point, this is early, right. that he became, pro- if he, if he got the nomination and you got the nomination, I would be uncomfortable going forward in the general election uh, because my job would be to attack this guy. And I don't think I would, I wouldn't be comfortable doing it. And therefore I wouldn't be good for you to do it. You want somebody you know, you, you don't want somebody with a soft trigger. That can go cutthroat, yeah. Easy. So I just, I, and at the at the time, McCain just, he laughed it off because he thought it was so, because he didn't think it was going to happen. Right. So I just, him this, and this everybody else, right? Him and Obama. It's like, are you kidding me, McKinnon? You know, and, and so he's like, fine, whatever. And, but I knew two things. One is I knew that McCain would forget about it. Uh, and two, I was worried that <laughs> this was like a, I felt important. It was like a principled thing I was trying to do, but I knew that if, if I didn't like tell other people about it, that I might bail out like McCain won. And then I would say, Oh, you know, yeah, through that. I'll, I'll go ahead and do this. Yeah. Another campaign bid or presidential bid. Let's do yeah, this. Like, like it'll the be most fun. Exciting let's thing go. In the world. That's what we lived at. It was a, pre- a presidential you know, general election campaign. So I was worried that I was going to bail out. So I wrote a memo to the staff file explaining all of it just so the senior staff knew and, so on election night, McCain uh, on the primary, he won the primary, and I kind of wandered in and I said, uh, "Hey, Senator, congratulations! Oh, by the way, remember this." And I'm out. <laughs> yeah, and he was like, "God damn it, McKinnon!" You know, and it, and he did a typical kind of McCain thing. But then he hugged me and he said, "You know, I love you, man, and I couldn't have gotten here without you." And it would be very un-McCain-like not to keep your word. And so I rode off into the sunset and. It was really hard. It was as hard as I thought it sure. would be. And if I hadn't written that memo, I bet I would have bailed. So wow. take that idea and go to what you were talking about earlier with your daughter when she was at Wesleyan and you having this conversation recently with her about you working for Bush. Like, are those are those stories that you that you told your kids? Are those things that you feel yeah. like you've used to kind of as as teaching points, or is it more just of sharing yeah. your life with them? Yeah, no, I did, and and believe me, that kind of thing helped my daughter a lot at the time. And the <laughs> and and sure. the email that I got from Barack Obama thanking me is something <laughs> she looks at a lot. She's like, see, sure, <laughs> sure. See? Barack Obama likes my dad. <laughs> and Obama was such a, I mean, you talk about a class act. He sent me this really nice note at the time. He just said, McKinnon, I can't believe you're doing this. Thanks for he not said, kicking he said, my listen, ass. I know, he said, listen, I know it's what you do professionally. And I said, I, I would not be surprised or, 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 or even question you if you decided to go back. 
You know, it's just yeah. so class act. It's just like that's very class act. Mark, Mark, you're you're a man of many talents, and let's be honest, busy as hell. Rewind <laughs> back to where kids were young and you were, you were a dad in the dad stage of which Palmer and I are in. Um, how were you able to juggle or talk about successes or failures or being that parent trying to be professional and finding that balance of being a dad at the same time? Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to tell you one quick story as, as kind of an entry point to that Please. question that, that relates to the Obamas and my, and my kids. Um, so this is, 2008 campaign as well. Um, my daughter, who was, uh, I mentioned, gone to Wesleyan, uh, very early on in her college uh, chapter, uh, she suffered two back-to-back tragedies. Her boyfriend was killed in a boating accident, and then very shortly after that, her best Ooh. friend was killed in a, uh, in a car accident. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and it was just devastating. And, you know, you can – I mean, that's hard at any point in life. But when you're yeah. 13, you're kind of every – you know, supposed to be the best time of your life. And it was the worst for her. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was really tough. And uh, so somewhere – sometime after that, I was talking to David Axelrod, who was uh, Barack Obama's chief media guy. Shout out if uh, Axe would like to come on our show and talk I'll, about I'll recommend his life. Because he, he's, man, talk about a great dad guy. No, I'm, I actually say that in That's all amazing. seriousness because I, I had him written down in it. my notes to get on the show from you. So I'll, I'll talk to him and I, I literally I will tell him that he should come. Thank you. Yeah, we would love that. Because he, he would love you guys and you guys would love him, obviously. And, he's, and he thinks a lot about being a dad and a grandpa. And, and he's had really you know big issues with his kids. who had One daughter had a horrible health problems. All yeah, life. yeah. Uh, anyway, so I, I, he and I have a long history together, know each other really well. And, and again, this is, you know, kind of old school politics. We used to kind of like each other, even though we worked on different sides <laughs> of the aisle. You know, we kind of saw the humanity in each other and shared experience. I remember that. That yeah, was, that was like pre-2020. Yeah. I remember yeah, that. I have <laughs> that on old black and white movies. 20, way, way further back, sorry. <laughs> way sorry, way I'm before so 2020, bud. I'm, so, I'm just so used to saying 2020. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I shared – he was talking about his – you know, we shared stories about our kids. And, and so I told him about what my daughter had gone through. And he was like, God, that's terrible. And, you know, and kind of that was it. And then I went, we went along. And then – I don't remember how much longer after that it was, but my daughter got like a three-page note from Michelle Obama out of the blue. Oh, my gosh. And it said, Dear Kendall, that's my daughter's name, you don't know me. My name is Michelle Obama. Uh, and I heard about you know the tragic incidents, you know, the tragic episode that you went through recently. And I just want to tell you that when I was about your age, my best friend and my father died very close to one another. And I thought the world was going to end. And I'm just here to tell you, it's not, you're going to be okay. And that's all you had to tell me about the Obamas. I was like, okay, that's it. Yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. And that's just, you know, I mean, that just testified to, to her character and, you know, and that was in the middle of a campaign when she took her time out to write a note to somebody she'd never met before. That's incredible. So I wish we had that kindness and gratitude from yeah, uh, uh, Land's yeah. highest office. Yeah, exactly right. So, uh, you know, and so you asked me about the balance of that. You know, I, I guess part of the balance is just thinking about those things and sharing those stories with, with friends and other dads. And, you know, and sometimes, you know, it gets paid forward like that, which is pretty incredible. And, you know, yeah. I, I was on the road a lot and, and away a lot. So I just, you know, I tried the time that I did have with my kids, tried to make it super special and do really cool trips with them and, 
uh, you know, the, the time that I was with him tried to make it really quality time. Yeah. That's great. Oh man. That's a, thank you for sharing that story. That's, sure, um, it's I hate amazing. that Yeah, it's, 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 for it's, your daughter, but that's a, it's a really great, that's that human piece that I feel like we don't get enough of anymore. Exactly right. Um, exactly right. not a political, not in a political way, but just cause it's, and by the way, speaking crazy. of Michelle Obama, I love the relationship that my old boss, George Bush and Michelle. Obama. So I said, my wife and I were literally, I said to her last night, I said, I, there is, it's weird. The, the pictures and the images that get burned in your brain and that picture of the two of them hugging on each other. Like it just, one of my favorite it, photos of all time. I call that picture hope. Cause I think say what you will yes. about George Bush and his time as president and whatever, but like it, you can't, can't argue with his character as a human as far as just being a good per I mean my wife said my wife literally said last night she's like I always just envisioned him as like this grandpa who wants to give you a hug you know oh, like, man, he'd be perfect on your podcast he's like dad hall of fame and grandpa hall well of I mean you know that might be a bigger ass but you know you want to yeah. you want to get <laughs> that <may be> a <laughs> <stress>. on the <laughs> but I'm just telling you I mean like I said you could disagree with his policies but you can't disagree with his humanity and right he's yeah. really a really good human being you, you were talking uh, rewinding a bit from um er earlier in the episode but we, we were talking about kind of what got you into to poli politics and kind of the stance and how, how you're able to operate as a human but talk about the character traits and the humanity and the humbleness and the the ethical decisions um it's your personality upbringing and then it's also your your ethical decisions like where does go before you, where does that come from in your family tree? Like, where do you, where do you think you pick that up at or, or how that got ingrained in you and why can't there be more of you on this? Planet? Let's be honest. Wow. So wow. why is that, that simple conversation? There's only so many hats, Mike, only so many people can rock the hat. <laughs> as, as LB, why is there, as LBJ would say, you're pissing on my leg, but it's warm and it feels good. <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 no. Maybe, but like on on the point, episode like, title I was by the Palmer, way. Episode title. Yes, good. That's it. <laughs> I was asking Palmer, like it's so, it's so simple, and it seems like bedrock character traits that everybody would write down on a company mantra or a personality trait mantra. That it's so few people walk that path, and it bothers me, like to a fundamental level, <laughs> how few people actually execute that. And you, sir, do. Thank you. Um, like where. And not in small things when like, when like rubber meets the road, you would walk away from a presidential campaign, right? Because of, because of a belief standard, like that is, that's some balls in terms of who you are as an individual that not many people would rise to that occasion. Like, where did that come from? You know, I got, I got to just believe that a lot of it's genetic and, and I, you know, I had great parents who you know, had their difficulties in life and, but they always gave me a ton of freedom to, to uh, really a ton of freedom to experience a lot of, uh, failure really. Uh, you know, I ran away from home in the middle of high school and ended up in Nashville. I was a, a, a wannabe yeah. aspiring songwriter. And what the hell, man? Like, <laughs> is there anything you don't do? Well, well, I don't do. I didn't do that very well, and that, that's why. Uh, you know, I kind of charted my progress, and I realized I was going to end up at the uh, Austin Holiday Inn as the second act when I was fifty years old if I didn't switch gears. So, um, yeah, I mean, they just they let me. They let me. Uh, you know, like when I ran away, they didn't try and track me down and haul me back in. They just said, because I wasn't really running away from them. I just wanted to go discover the world and I was bored and, and I, you know, and I had 
bumped into this uh, successful songwriter in, in Nashville who was helping me out at the time. And so I just wanted to go see the world. And they, they were like, okay, you know, call if you need us. And you know, good luck. <laughs> and Mark, Mark, just for the record, who is that songwriter? He was a guy named Chris Christopherson. Uh huh. Oh, yeah, just a guy. Well, <laughs> yeah, just a guy. You know, I, I, I it's, it, he was a. It was a long time ago, but during his heyday, this guy was a big damn deal. I mean, he was yeah one of the greatest country music songs of all time. Me and Bobby McGee, Sunday Morning Coming Down for the Good Times, really some classics. And he was a really generous, wonderful human being. Um. And then went on and had an amazing film career. In fact, a lot of people, when I mentioned yeah. him, know him not as a songwriter, but as a, as a, as a film guy. So yeah. he was an epic I think character. We I think we had a conversation two episodes ago with yeah. Joe, Carr, Joe Carr, the founder of Josh Wine and Josh Sellers, um, that uh, how he is one of the best songwriters on the face of planet Earth. Um, yeah, absolutely. Oh, and he, he was so, in a Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. That, yeah. That's what he was talking about. So um, a nice fella to run into and uh, get uh, some <laughs> education from growing up. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you another quick aside about him if you want to hear it. So he, he was uh, one of the most generous people in Nashville and helped a lot of people like John Prine. You know, he would just go out, out of his oh, way. No God, with him. Yeah. I mean, because John Prine was possible because of Chris Christopherson and a lot of other I people. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He discovered him when he was a mailman in Chicago, and uh, and and just went out of his way to make sure that people found out about John Prine. But I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, but Christopherson was unusual because he he was just a stone genius, in the sense that he wrote some of the greatest songs of all time, and he's one of the worst musicians I've ever met. And <laughs> so I like I lived in his apartment for three years, and we'd go to uh, I, I'd be with him at you know one of his concerts or something. He'd be backstage. And he'd be like tuning up his guitar, which he couldn't do. Somebody else would have to tune it for him. And then he'd then he'd say, McKinnon, how do you play that F sharp minor? And I'm like, wait a minute. This is what this is your on? song. How did you write the song if you can't play the chords to the song that you wrote? So <laughs> what I'm saying is this guy like just channeled it from God or something, you know, and, <laughs> because he couldn't play couldn't play guitar with his shit and he could barely sing a note and he was one of the greatest songwriters of all time. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Go figure. So, so track. Let's go back to the off the Christopherson uh, side tangent. Like, wh- where, <laughs> where did you your songwriting musician career took you to? Where that took me to uh, uh, Austin, Texas, where there was an explosion of music in the early seventies, and I played at the Kerrville Folk Festival, and I won the won the songwriters contest out there one year, and so they asked me to just come using back. Christopherson's song. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> should have, should have. But uh, uh, so they asked me back the following year, and I'd gone through Austin and just fell in love with Austin immediately. And so when they asked me to come back to Kerrville, I just packed my stuff and stayed. And I played around Austin for you know a number of years. And again, it was just a situation where, I, you know, one of the things I've been lucky in my life was have had the wisdom to exercise some judgment about where maybe things weren't going to go real well. You know, I mean, I just, and by the way, it was a very hard thing because I had for almost 20 years just thought the only thing I would ever do in my life was be a songwriter. And, and the notion of thinking of anything different was like a betrayal to my soul, you know? Yeah. And so when I had to like say, you know what, McKinnon, uh, you're okay, but there's some cats around this town called Austin that are way better than you are, and you might want to think about a plan B. And so I did. And I went. I went to school. I went to the University of Texas, 
and I was a little older at the time. So because I was older, I was like, I, I had a real lack of confidence that I could cut it. And so I worked my ass off and I did really well. And then I became the editor. And But I still love storytelling. That's kind of the glue of all the things that I've done. Songwriter, journalist, I was, I was media guy, was TV lot. producer. It's all about storytelling. I didn't realize yeah. that at the time, but I've, I kind of figured it out now that that's the, of all the things I've done in my life, it's all these things are about storytelling. So I was the editor of a newspaper uh, and I covered politics a lot. And then a guy who I had covered a lot decided to run for the U.S. Senate uh, in 1984. And I went and volunteered on his campaign and uh, this is where I discovered that campaigns are really desperate for people. And, you know, three <laughs> weeks after volunteering, I was the press secretary. So, uh, <laughs> uh, and th- that was a campaign with James Carville and uh, my old pal, wow. Paul Begala, who are, you know, well-known guys in, in the political yeah. world. Wow. Helped elect Bill Clinton. Uh, yeah. And super talented guys and learned a ton from James Carville. Anyway, that, I, we lost that campaign. I thought that was the end of my political career, and that's when I discovered you can fail upwards in politics. And <laughs> Most uh, people do, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, I mean, think about it. I tell people who want to go into politics that there's no reason not to because it doesn't require a license or degree to do campaigns. There's no regulation. Uh, you know, you, and so you can just kind of show up, and, and it's a place where, I mean, lots of people show up at campaigns, but not a lot of people with a ton of talent or drive, you know? And so if you if you want to work in politics, go to a campaign, volunteer, show up early, stay late, work your ass off. And, you know, three months later, you'll be the deputy campaign manager. That's how it works. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to stick I'll around 10 that. years to be a junior partner. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, <laughs> what else are you going to do with your life, right? <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Um, so so anyway, I did, I did those campaigns and then I – I uh, knew I kind of wanted to get out of Texas to get more national experience. And somebody said, if you think you know anything about politics, go to Louisiana and get your PhD. So I did. I went and did a governor's race over there, which was, and they were right. It's the best campaign I ever did in my life. It was just wild. And That's Louisiana for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in fact, when I first pitched this show, The Circus, it was going to be about Louisiana. Uh, oh, wow. It's just so colorful and crazy, and, and it was just an epic campaign, as I said. And anyway, I finally got notched a W, and that helped. And then I flipped up to New York and worked with one of the great godfathers of the media business, and got to work all over the world. I worked in uh, Africa and South America, and wow, you know, yeah, did that whole kind of exportation of American democracy to third world countries, which was really <laughs> interesting. <laughs> so um, I got to ask you, and this is totally off subject from where we just were, but how are you, uh, how are you healing up after your, uh, your mountain uh, bike tumble? Well, yeah. So I, uh, I, I love to mountain bike and, uh, and one of the reasons I love the mountain bike is that I years ago got a spinal stenosis, uh, diagnosis, which is a, you know, it's a, a thing that happens with your spine that just over time gets worse and worse. And that happened to me about the same time that George W. Bush knees went out back in around 2000 and he and I used to run together. And so he couldn't run and I couldn't run anymore. So we said, well, let's take up mountain biking. And yeah. so we did kind of at the same time. And then I completely fell in love with mountain biking and I'm a fanatic. I ride a ton. And, uh, you know, uh, a couple of months ago, I just got a little carried away and was showing off for the grandkids. And I went off a monster jump that I've never even seen anybody go off of before. That should tell you something. <laughs> and... <laughs> Mistake number one. Mark, that, <laughs> yeah. Mark, that I, wasn't a jump. That was the, that was the edge of the trail. I, no, I think you're right. It's like there was a reason I never seen yeah. anybody go out there. You weren't supposed to. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. corkscrewed straight into the ground head first from about 40 feet uh. in the air. 
uh, separated my shoulder, punctured a lung, four broken ribs, and a numbness in my legs, which is why I'm carrying a cane right now. Uh, and I just saw a doctor today about it, and sure enough, what happened is that crash exacerbated that spinal stenosis thing that I have. So uh, the good news is the lungs healed up, the ribs have healed up, the shoulder will be a mess for life, but I don't intend to take up tennis anytime, so that's fine. <laughs> Uh, or shoulder modeling, and uh, I think we're going to be able to ease up the uh, the leg issue. And if not, you know, I'll just take a bridge. It'll be all right. Well, I mean, as you know, as you saw from your uh, your your poll on Hacks on Tap, I mean, you're you look <laughs> yes. good with the cane, man. I mean, well, you're, listen, you, you pull it like off, I said, so. even when even when I get better, I'm going to keep the cane going. It's a great affectation. It's you, you kind of, I mean, you might yes, as well, it right? It just it looks, yes. looks good. I'm waiting to see you like standing in an interview and just like twirling it around in your fingers, or like somebody pisses yes. you off. And you just, <laughs> Clock. No, it's great. It's a great social distancing tool because a lot of times, like especially at rallies, people come right up to me and I just hold it up and say, back off. Yeah. You know? Mark, <laughs> but Mark, uh, my, it's the hat and the cane. It's just as important as the hat. That's right. Yeah. But my colleagues yes. are giving me a very hard time. They claim they're going to try and get me to be Mr. Peanut by the end of the run and get me a monocle <laughs> and a top hat. <laughs> I would, if you show up at a Trump rally in a Mr. Peanut costume, I think that might take the cake on the year. We need that, Mark. 2020 needs that shit. Like, <laughs> me too. do it for Last us. Episode. Take, it, take yeah, a shot for the team. So, so Mark, if I can pull from before, and I'm going to pee on your leg a little more. As cool as you are... <laughs> Don't. Now you're injured from mountain biking, bravo, and you're an Ironman athlete. When when in all of this conversation that we just <laughs> recapped for your life, did you throw Ironmans in there? Um, that was back in, uh, you know, that was kind of my midlife crisis, really. Okay. You know, p- people that do Ironmans are really kind of fucked up, you know. They're, yes. no, I, you know, sure. because it's an ob- totally obsessive thing. It's all about sure. you. I mean, I mean, that's kind of actually kind of a regret that I had because I took a bunch of time away. From, I mean, I was like getting up at five in the morning to run, getting off lunch to bike, and then you know after work going swimming just because I was so sure. petrified I was going to die on the, sure. on the on the course. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it was better than my old cocaine habit, and <laughs> so, you know, at least I got healthy. Need an addiction. It's a healthy addiction. Yeah, it, you were as it, skinny it better. both, but one's just healthy, better. right? Yeah, it was better. And I mean, I I kind of went through that phase, and I did get over it, which was good because I I needed to kind of balance my you know just my needed a little more life balance. But it got me in shape, and, and I and it was a good thing. And you know, I've tried to. And by the way, just doing the kind of work that I do, is, it's really good that I stay healthy. I mean, I couldn't do the circus unless I lived in Colorado and I mountain bike or ski almost every yeah, day. Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially, I would think of, mentally and physically on that. Yeah, it's my zen. It's it's how I balance it out. And if I if I didn't have it, I couldn't. I just you know I couldn't go to that microwave unless I could you know get out in the snow and. I'm, I'm, I'm oh man, you keep calling thing. it a microwave. I I I truly believe it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, th- I first thought it was a great thing to call it, but no, no, no it's no, a legit. Yeah, that's really what it is. Yeah, it's good. It is. It's good. So this episode's been about like hard, weird tangents. So I'm going to take another one. Tell me your that that moment that you realized you were you were going to become a dad. And then I'm also going to ask about a grandfather, but we can start with the dad. So I mean, just life changing in every respect. That's what I think. I don't think most people get. Uh, you know, there's the initial sort of flush of excitement, but I don't think anybody really understands until you go through it that the best thing about having a child is that it takes the focus off yourself. Yeah. You know, for once, you're living for something else and you're giving your time and your energy 
to 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 some other human being, and it's That's really so healthy. Well said. You know, it's really yeah. good for you, and it's yeah. Yeah, good for them, and. Uh, so I think that that's really what the power of parenthood is, is, is understanding that, you know, a big part of life is giving your, your, your heart to something else. That's cool. That's a great so answer, now man. Go to, go to chapter two. How about, uh, when you realized you were going to become a grandfather? Well, grand, icing grand, on the cake, I would imagine. I was totally icing on the cake. And, and, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the great thing about being a grandparent is you get all the fun and none of the responsibility. And, and, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's all icing. We're like, you know, like you said, it's, it's icing on the cake and it's, there's just, it's all the fun and none of the work. It's just until you take an endo off your mountain bike, trying to show them how hardcore you are. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. That's awesome. Um, That's great. All right. Um, One more question and then we'll, we'll take it to our rapid fire section. Um, Mark, talk about, one of the most challenging moments for you as a dad that you've been through? Well, you know, probably, uh, when, when my daughter went through those, uh, tragedies, yeah. that was just the most painful thing. Obviously she's ever gone through, but it was incredibly painful for me because I couldn't do anything about it. You know, yeah, helpless. I mean, sure. I can go through stuff, and and you know, and it's difficult or painful or whatever. But to see your kid go through it and not be able to help in some way or to relieve that pain that they're going through is just—it's just devastating. And it's so, ugh, you know, you just you you don't want your kids to have to suffer. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, part of your role being a parent is to help them go through those things. And when you can't really do anything to relieve that pain, it's just agony. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, we all have our versions of that with our Mike and I, I should say, have our versions of that with our little ones, but that's, that's another, that's another ball game, man. I can't. And I imagine too, with your daughter, she was probably not home with you guys. Like, it's just, that's a different, it's such a different ball game. Just not being able to be there. Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm. Um, a heavy tone, uh, Mark, sir, are you ready for wake dad, drink, repeat rapid fire questions? Absolutely. Lay it on me. Bring it. As we say, there are no wrong answers. Say the first thing that comes to mind, but don't get it wrong. Do you understand? Got it. All right. (laughs) Question number one. We might have already answered it. Drink of choice. Manhattans. Followed closely by uh, Tito's cold up with a lemon twist. Ah, nice. A little bit balancing it out with those Texas roots. You got to do that. I get that. (laughs) All right. uh, Next question. Biggest lesson that you've learned as a dad? Uh, Share share with your children things that you think might be problematic because it's better to talk them through than to protect them from things that you think might might be painful or difficult to talk about. Go ahead and rip that scab off. Uh, I love that answer. Uh, next question for you. Most annoying song, show, or movie that your kids or grandkids have made you listen to a thousand times over? Oh, man. Song, TV show, or what? Or movie. Or movie. Any form of media. That you had to do uh, with your kids or your grandkids. Oh, yeah. I think if I have to watch uh, Mulan any, one more time, ah. I'm take a gun to my head. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Which very good. This is where our rapid fire questions become not rapid fire. Did you guys hear how bad the new live action Milan just tanked when it came out this live weekend? 
Are you, Mark, are you talking about the new one? Or are you talking about the old one? I'm talking, He's about, the talking about the old one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you hear, Mark, did you hear about any of this? Like that they filmed heard, it yeah, in parts of China where... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. It was it just apparently it did horrible at the box office this weekend. But anyways. Um, you mean strictly, strictly Disney Plus? Disney Plus for $30. Like that's the only... No, but it's all, it's all this political have. and social stuff. Like they filmed it in parts of China where they're suppressed. I forget right. the name of the group, but where they're suppressing huh. the Muslims oh, that live there yeah. and have them like in concentration yeah. camps and yeah holy moly yeah it's, it's bad a bad, bad story for disney yeah yeah that wasn't wow. a good move um anyways all right next question favorite thing to do uh with your kids when they were growing up or now uh i used to love to take my daughters to the horses and bad horses we go to the track nice. i had a blast it was so That's awesome fun. i mean it's you know probably not the, the most responsible thing to do i guess <laughs> but we have some great memories of going to the track That's and great. they became good little handicappers and, you know, we played, <laughs> we played good math skills. That's good. They were That's, good. Math. That's all about math. That's right. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, next question. Your favorite band? Uh, I'm such a singer songwriter guy. That's usually not bands. Well, that's fine. Uh, you can just musician. say Chris Christopherson. Yeah, how about Chris Christopherson? <laughs> that works. It's very timely. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love the singer-songwriter types, and Chris Christopherson was, you know, he was a mentor and a friend and, and one of the greatest of all time. So I, I you know, I got to say Chris Christopherson. You, you got to go. give it to Good him. answer. Good answer. Uh, best part about being a dad? Uh, you know, big. Uh, you know, one of the best parts is, it, but the, this goes to the grandfather question, is watching them become parents. That's a really yeah. super. That's cool amazing thing to watch and uh, that's cool yeah and it's 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 like watching a you know sort of a miracle of nature happen and it's <laughs> confounding and inspiring and surprising and you know as they take on those you know responsibilities that you once had with them and to watch them do it and do it really well is really uh, it, it's just a magical thing haven't had that answer yet uh, that's an awesome answer yep. Very cool. Um, last question for our rapid fire. And I really hope you write like a book about this because it'd be very fascinating to read. But what trait of your own um, do you hope your kids or grandkids um, have or will inherit from you? Uh, be kind. Kindness. You know, I just I just think it's an overlooked thing. and It's really easy to do. And uh, a little of it goes a really long way. Just be kind. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. It might be a short book if you end up writing a book. <laughs> be kind by Mark Rickett. <laughs> <Be kind. laughs> <laughs> I'd still buy it. I'd still buy it from you. I would. 100% oh, would. fantastic. Well, Mark, sir, you passed rapid fire. Thank you very well, much. I think for, I didn't do a good um, job on the movie. I know there was a better answer to the movie uh, or uh, it's all right. kids, but uh, it's, uh, you were on the I spot. Don't think of it we, uh, we won't hold it against you. We appreciated everything else you've said. So we'll, we'll, let, we'll let that question Maybe go. Maybe edit that one out. <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> um all right well mark um tell us what we and i mean it's really you can't answer this truly but what can we expect out of the circus for the rest of the season how can people <laughs> find it where can they tune into it give us give us a lowdown on all of that yeah we'll be on the air from now through the election and it's on sunday help you. And, yeah eight, well and the other thing is it may be past the elections because we have a pretty good feeling that uh, unfortunately the election probably will not be decided election night, but maybe a week or weeks afterwards. So yeah, we're at least going to run probably a couple weeks past the election. So we'll, we'll be on every Sunday night, eight o'clock on showtime. Yeah. 
Um, and for folks who have not watched it, truly, it is a fantastic show. This guy right here, Mark McKinnon, John Heilman, Alex Wagner, uh, just knock it out of the park. I'm going to butcher Jen's last name. So will you please say it? Cause I'll Jen Palmieri, Jen Palmieri. Palmieri thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you guys, you guys just do an incredible job and it's such a, it's such a great show. So, well, like I said, there's no lack of material. When I first pitched the show and they, they, <laughs> they told us we we're going to do 26 episodes, which is a lot of TV. That's like two seasons of a normal show. And my first thought was, Oh my God, there's just going to be weeks where not that much is going on. We're 75 episodes in now, and there's never been a week where that was a problem. It's always, what are we going to cut? Yeah, yeah, what are you going to cover? Yeah, yeah. I, I, no, What are we going to cut out of the show? Yeah, yeah. sure, sure. What? Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, what are you going to air? Yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Mark McKinnon, um, brother man, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week. It was great to have you. It was great to hear your story. Thank you for... Uh, being a, a voice of calm and for, uh, for joining us. Hey, thank you guys. I really appreciate what you guys are doing. It's really important. And, and I hope to you know, help get your message out to a lot of other folks to get the dads to step up more. Thanks, man. Thank you, Mark. You got Thanks it. for the conversation. You know, I, I loved this episode for so many reasons, but, um, I, his today's dad definition, there was a lot there. I love the way he ended it with this idea of that there's a lot of work to be done and the role of a today's dad is to lead by example. I mean, it's so spot on. That's it, man. That sums it up really well. Yeah, absolutely. He mentioned a lot of dads stepping up to the plate, dads being engaged, dads knowing yeah. what's going on in the family circle. Um, I would like to think we're more advanced than that i think we know his his funny example of like where we keep the trash and like, yeah, yeah. the trash can <laughs> so i know where to take it out um i hope to god we're, we're as a society better than that as a society but point point to the case of it's it's dad step, stepping up to the plate and being viewed more as the equal and um through through household chores to parenting chores and i mean we we preach that on a fundamental level on this podcast all the time but um yeah it was super cool to hear yeah it really was um I, I did think it was funny too just interesting i think this is our first episode in a while that we haven't really like touched on the whole covid piece i mean we he talked about it a little bit in their production schedule sure, but sure. his definition made me think a lot about that of just that i was texting with one of our listeners who's a friend of a long friend and college roommate of mine charlie hellman uh today about um just life and he was talking about being home and his kids being at school and work, how he's working from home right now and how they're grateful that they're in a bigger house now than they were before COVID and all this. And it just, it made me, it made me think as Mark was talking about his definition, like just this idea of how COVID has forced a lot of people to be more equal. engaged, yeah. like more yeah, yeah, equal, yeah. right? Like it's, right. And, and we didn't talk about it in the episode, which may have been a miss, but like it's, that is a funny piece of this whole thing to me is it's sure it's forcing that hand for a lot of folks, good sure. or bad. No, yeah, no, no, well said. And, and honestly for, for Mark's case, the lead by example, um, shit, man, like he's, I'm, so proud homeboy's of doing it, man. By oh, home, homeboy is executing <laughs> to a T. So 
uh, honestly, man, what, what an incredible life's journey and life story um, that Mark has. And uh, thankful that we got to have the conversation with Mark. Um, I am too, man. I am too. Yeah. Abs- and um, as always, guys, everything that we touched on in this episode will be in our show notes. So please head over to wakedaddrinkrepeat.com to check it out. And we'll have uh, Mark's uh, Today's Dad video as well. Yeah, guys. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Um, that's where we send out all of our information on our Rick house and anything cool that's going on with the podcast. We've had a great lineup of guests over this past month. So we are going to have an awesome September Rick house, man. I cannot wait for our recap at the end of the month. It shall be fantastic. I assure you, um, guys, thank you for being part of this wake dad, drink, repeat community. We humbly appreciate it. And we're enjoying this journey. Please remember to share this podcast with a fellow dad. And we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. As always remember to wake dad, drink, repeat. Cheers, everyone. Cheers, folks. Thanks for listening, guys. Our show music is written and performed by Jordan Burris and produced by Jordan Burris and Asher Smith. We always love hearing from you. Head to wakedaddrinkrepeat.com, send us guest recommendations, or give us your thoughts on the show.